I want to share my story. I want other people to know that you can be in a place where you think you're going to die, that there's no way out of this to become a whitewater raft guide. Welcome to Our Power is Within podcast. I'm your host, Chaz Smith, and my mission for this podcast is to inspire you to take your power back and to realize that you are the healer that you have been looking for all along. I believe that we are all capable of healing in mind, in body, and in soul. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you've been tuned in for a while now and find value in this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or my website, ourpowerswithin.com. Other ways that you can support this podcast are leaving a small donation by clicking the link support this podcast in the show notes and or share your favorite episode on social media and tag me. So our guest today is Kimberly Harder. And today we talk about all things healing. Go figure. (laughs) Ah, So Kimberly shares her testimonial story with us. Some of what didn't work, but mostly what did work. And while her healing journey is incredibly complex, as many of us can relate, there are a few things that really stood out for her that we focus on discussing in today's episode, which are brain retraining, cold exposure, and breath work. I love how much I learned from Kimberly during this chat today, and I hope that you have some fun takeaways as well. So please enjoy. All right, Kimberly, thank you so much for being here with me today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah. So for everybody who is going to be tuned in listening to this, fun fact, Kimberly and I are actually meeting for our second time because the first time we were having massive technical difficulties and we got interrupted via the computer recording just completely freezing like five times. We spent hours attempting to record our last interview and then we got (laughs) cut off and then we were just like, all right, we're done. And here we are several months later, finally meeting again to try this out one more time. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to go great today. (laughs) It is. It is. Exactly. I know. I'm really proud of us though for e- even putting in so much effort last time. Like I thought about it later. I'm like, we were really committed. We like kept giving it uh, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. We just kept going back. We can do this. And the computer just kept saying, not today. <laughs> no, we're like, okay, we got to do this again. And that's okay. <laughs> it's meant to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So it was just meant to be today for some reason, because there's going to be something in this conversation that speaks to somebody who's listening on a different level today. Mm -hmm. So Kimberly, let's go ahead and start out with letting you have the floor to share with us briefly on what you have healed from or what you are still healing from. Yeah. So I had over a decade of severe chronic illnesses with diagnosis of Lyme disease and mold toxicity were the biggest ones. I also had POTS and I had um, multiple chemical sensitivities. I had sensory processing disorders. I had massive skin problems going on of all different kinds, parasites and heavy metals and 
the list goes on and on and on for the amount of things that I experienced heavily for over a decade. And with the point that I was at where I was so low in weight, not digesting food, that I probably would never get out of it. So that was where I was at at the lowest point in time. Where are you at today? Today, I'm in a very different situation. To get myself out of where I was at, became a whitewater raft guide and totally like removed myself from the situation that I was in. And now I am thriving and living life and just living as the average healthy human would live. So I don't say those terms loosely because I don't like using like specific labels for things, but that is my reality now. So yeah, (laughs) it's very different reality than it was before. Yeah, that's amazing. And just for like a frame of reference, when did you kind of feel at your lowest in terms of time frame, the year perhaps? Well, 2017, I had just finished a antifungal IV treatment, which literally almost killed me. And I was at that point really not digesting food, talking about going on a feeding tube and was 25 to 30 pounds less than I am now and barely able to get myself to the bathroom, let alone like cook my own meals or even filling up like the bathtub and getting to the bathtub was like something I had help with. So I was pretty much full time needed somebody to help me with everything. And then a second version of that happened after I had stem cell therapy. And I went way, 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 way down after that and ended up living in a dark bedroom, extreme sensory processing, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, movement sensitivity, living in my noise-canceling headphones and my dark sunglasses, blinds closed all the time, trying to play cards with my mom, where the light was so dim that we couldn't even see the difference between the black cards and the red cards. And so those were the two lowest points in my journey. There were many, but those were like the two key, key ones. And you said that second point was from stem cell therapy? Yeah. So there's so many different thoughts around stem cells and I have created my own version of the thoughts around them. So I was told that I would go into neuro repair after I had stem cells. And so I was expecting things to get worse, you know, for a while. But my trajectory of what they were saying the trajectory was, was totally off. I also did these stem cells with five other people. And so I kind of have their timelines and their experiences to base off of what like I went through as well since we had the same treatments and protocols over like a two-week period. So I was expecting things to get worse, but they got so worse that I was in a dark bedroom with dark sunglasses on, unable to leave the house sometimes for a month at a time. Going to the grocery store was definitely not an option. You know, getting in the car, I was putting on backwards so that like it was covering my face so that I didn't see the shadows flickering through the windows because I was afraid of going into a Lyme seizure. And so... The stem cells were entirely through my system out of whack. Now, I don't know if they actually did anything or not because I was doing other things in combination after the first 100 days. They recommended not to do anything for 100 days after the stem cells. And so I didn't do anything. And then I started my brain retraining up. And then I started breath work and cold therapy and seeing a naturopath for NAAT treatments and a whole bunch of different other things. So there was the people that were in my stem cell group with me 
they did not experience what I experienced, where it was 16 months after I had the stem cells that my life started drastically changing and I started having vast improvement. So the fact that it was that long afterwards and also, I mean, everybody's timeline for everything's different, but that was like a long span of time after receiving a treatment of any kind. And then also the other things that I was doing in combination with that, I completely pulled myself out of the experience and now I'm no longer experiencing any of those things. And these other people are still experiencing or did experience for many years after that was 2018 that I did the stem cells in. And I think it was June. 2018. Yeah, that's just crazy. So yeah, you don't have one way of knowing for sure without a certainty of a doubt one way or another. But to me, based on like what you're saying, it sounds like it was really a lot of the other things that played the biggest role or factor if the other people that also did this with you didn't do the same other things as you and didn't get the same results. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd want to feel that bad just to get better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you know what I really think it was, was that in my mind, I was like, I kind of did this with every treatment, but I did it to a different extent with this one that this is what I'm going to get better with. And then I had that mindset going in and then I was doing the brain retraining. And so I was, I started with DNRS and was doing that. And so I was able to use that momentum of this is going to be it to go forward with that. So where that turned into many different things beyond that and beyond stem cells and all the different things that I used to visualize and move myself through it, that was like kind of like a start to that. The placebo effect is something that is seen in 30% of every trial out there. It's like 30% of people, regardless of what it is that they're given, you know, if they're given the pill with nothing in it, you know, the sugar pill or the real treatment are going to get better from it. So that's where our mind is so incredibly strong. And so past treatments, I still was very skeptical going into it. I did so many things. Like I did 15 weeks straight of IV infusions through a chest port that were rocephin and azithromycin and natural antibiotics and vitamin C bags and Myers cocktails and ozone therapy. And I did all of that. And I was weaker after doing all that personally. And then I had like maybe like a boost of, yes, I'm going to be better like after this kind of thing. And if I had like a month where I kind of like went out and I like went on a boat with some people and then I like crashed hardcore and it was just like way worse than it was before I had started the treatment. So I think the mindset around it and diving into all the little things of there's so much complexity behind this, but diving into the little reasons why my body had gotten to the place that it was at and where my mindset had got at, where my emotions were, where my brain patterning and thought patterning was at. Those were all the things that were important things. Those were the things that massively shifted. Yes, supporting the body, supporting the cells, giving yourself continuously the nutrients that you need to get better is just as important. And also the part that I had been missing prior to doing the brain retraining and going inward and really doing meditation and looking at my inner child and the things that I needed to heal inwardly, that was the main difference that happened. So if I would have done that with the treatments that I had for that 15 weeks of the IV therapies, gone in with that mindset, gone in with the brain retraining, supported myself in all these different ways, like did the shadow work and inner child work, would that have been the treatment that had done it? Was that Would it have been a placebo effect? Or did those treatments actually do something? Did they kill some of the bacteria that was in the body, you know, from the Lyme and 
uh, parasite treatments and things like that. It's probably a little bit of both, but the main thing was the inner work that changed. Yeah. And so many people that I've talked to, it's almost like the timing that we do things, right? And how regulated we are, because it doesn't matter what treatments we do that are for the body if we're incredibly dysregulated, because the body just simply cannot heal in a chronic dysregulated state because it's not supported for healing. And so we can do treatment after treatment after treatment, but most people like similarly to what you experienced, end up almost feeling worse. And so it's almost like we get out on the other side and see how, oh, well, maybe some of those could have helped me if I was more regulated. And then the flip side is, and if I was more regulated and my body was in the right condition to heal, would I still need those treatments? There's so many layers to it. Yeah, some of it's I hear over and over, you can't heal in the environment that you got sick in. So there's a degree of that as well. That if like, for instance, I was in a relationship that wasn't serving me when I did those 15 weeks, you know, and I was living with this guy and I was in like a state, I was in Arizona and I do not do well with the desert. I was at that point, like extremely heat intolerant. So if it was 80 plus degrees, I was starting to swell and have like major problems being out in the heat. And here I'm in a state that is, you know, over 80 degrees for like a majority of the year, you know. And so it was super hot. So we had the blinds closed to keep the house cool and everything. And here I'm like basically living in a dungeon. And I've realized since how extremely important it is for me to have like big windows in my living environment or to be outside, really connecting with nature and getting my feet in the ground or, you know, swimming in water. And that was the other thing. There was no water there. And I've like trees and water were absent in Arizona. And those are hugely balancing things for me. So there were multiple things about the environment I was in there that also I wasn't allowed to heal in the way that my that was balancing to my system, to my body, my brain. <laughs> yeah, that makes so much sense. So I know from talking to you before that primarily because what we're talking about is that it was when you started brain retraining and then the cold plunges and the breath work, that's when you started really shifting and noticing the true healing happening. That's where it all started to really come together, correct? Yes, yes. In what timeline did that kind of happen? Did you start them all together? Did you start brain retraining for a period of time and then feel called into experimenting with these other modalities? How did that all unfold? Yeah. So I had actually started the DNRS program before I'd gotten the stem cells. And I was having a really hard time with it. Reading was extremely hard for me. Language, just being asked what I would like to eat, you know, sometimes like I couldn't even understand that language. So like language is very tough for me. And uh, so very frustrating. So I had to go through it kind of slowly. It took me a long time to like get through, but I did sit down for as many times throughout the day as I could to get through it. And then when I uh, did the stem cells, like a few months after starting that, I stopped doing it for a hundred days and I just allowed my body to kind of be in what it was in because that was like the recommendation from the place I was at. And then my mom was like, why don't you restart up the DNRS again? You know, because I was just so mentally down and, you know, just still cognitively having so many issues and everything. And so I started it up. And that's when I started to see the differences happening there was I really went into it hardcore and made the decision that even if I could only do it for this much of this day, or if I had to change it, and that's where adaption came in hardcore was 
I was trying to find ways that were more fun, that like aligned with me and like how my brain worked and everything. And that's what I see like a lot of people with frustrations is in brain retraining, it's like kind of very, feels very linear, but there's so many different ways to go about, to go about it. So I kind of played around with that. And then I also started a mast cell deactivator at that time because my big thing was I was reacting to everything, especially after the stem cells. It was way worse. I was already responding to, I could definitely not walk near the chemical aisle in the grocery store. I had to wear a mask like this was far before 2020. I had to wear a mask, you know, in the store because I was reacting to people's laundry detergents and perfumes and my face would start breaking out in rashes. So I was on a mast cell deactivator to like help balance that out. It was called ketodophen. And then I also was doing NAEG treatments with my acupuncturist, my naturopath. And so that was helping me. I was basically intolerant to the basic nutrients and foods like vitamin Bs and the vitamin C and vitamin D. So she was treating me to be able to tolerate those. And now this treatment is not something you take internally. It's an energetic treatment through acupuncture. This was the key was that like I was no longer giving myself supplements. I was no longer taking treatments or protocols internally because my body wasn't tolerating any of that. So everything I was doing was stuff that my system didn't have to like metabolize and methylate. So I was doing that. And then uh, I was seeing different energy work practitioners. I was practicing yoga, which I had been practicing for years prior to this on and off in different forms and meditation. And there are a few other things, but in combination with the brain retreating, the breath work and the cold therapy, those were the other things I was doing. So it wasn't just one thing by far, just the three things by far. It was many things. So it was supporting my system in those ways while doing the brain retraining and the other things. So it was 16 months after I got the stem cells and I started the brain retraining just a couple months, like after what the 100 days was like after the stem cells, you know. So I was doing the brain retraining for over a year before the key turning point for me was when I felt like I could actually get in the car and try to drive down the street. I'd been doing my rounds, my brain retraining rounds, lying on the floor, like imagining myself holding the steering wheel, seeing myself in the car. I then even got in the car and would sit in the garage and imagine myself driving down the road and seeing everything because my brain processing prior to that had been so slow that my tunnel vision had gotten so bad that the reason I had stopped driving a few years before that was because I could only see the bumper of the car in front of me and the center lane line on the road and it freaked me out. And I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't drive. Like I was already having trouble just getting to the store to do that. But I was like, this is absolutely not safe anymore. So that was like a big thing for me was driving and getting that liberation back to be able to like take myself to the store at a doctor's appointment or somewhere fun. God, even at that point, that was unfathomable to be like, oh, I'm just going somewhere because it's fun. You know, <laughs> so I just want to go somewhere. So long-winded answer to your question is it was a progression over those 16-ish months after the stem cells and for restarting the brain retraining again that it was October of 2019 that I got in the car and started driving. And then from that point in October 2019, there was a whole layers and layers beyond that of things that I still was going through because it was the last, very last thing was December 2020. I added dairy back into my diet. So that was the last thing that was I was really like experiencing the response to. It was the most terrifying thing to add back in. 
So that key moment of December of 2020, I think it was, yeah, 2020, was, wow, something has really, really shifted. I'm not scared. I'm not needing to read ingredients in like anything anymore. I'm just living life. I'm not reacting to anything anymore. Those quite a timeline. So from 2018 to 2020, that's, you know, it was over two years. And you were consistently retraining that whole time? I was consistently retraining in the format of DNRS for like that up until like October of 2019. But I did so many different variations of it and like made it into my own thing. Then 2021, so it was three years, it was 2021 that I added the dairy back in because 2020, I was doing a bunch of delivery services that year. Yeah. So that was part of my brain training was like getting back in stores, getting used to being around people, getting my nervous system used to like being in a car, being in a store, talking to strangers, using language again, you know, just like basic things. It was like completely retraining in way more applicable ways. Um, And I challenged myself in October of 2019 to do something that scares me every single day. And I did that for two years. And at that point, driving myself to the grocery store was still something that felt very scary, you know, or making a phone call to a friend and talked to in a while, you know, it was small things that were huge things for me at that point in time, even walking to the mailbox at some days, because I had agoraphobia after being so sensory process sensitive that I... I was scared to leave the house because I was, for one, scared I'd run into a neighbor and they would try to talk to me and then I wouldn't understand what they were saying and it would be super embarrassing. And like, yeah, there were so many things. So the little tiny things that I did that scared me was challenging. (laughs) What are some of the ways that you kind of manipulated or shifted your practice, your brain retraining practice from the traditional format? For anyone who's listening who maybe they struggle with the traditional format and they need some ideas to help them really refine it and make it their own. Yeah. One thing is I'm personally a very good visualizer. Visualization doesn't come... like if you. I say visualize a purple mountain with a pink elephant on it. Some people like immediately can get that image in their head. Some people, it takes a little bit more effort and some people do not see it at all. That's just not the way their brain works. So knowing your learning style and the way that your brain works with, do you hear, if I tell you to hear a song, can you hear the song playing in your head? Or if I say, can you hear your mom's voice or, you know, somebody's voice in your head that you know, if you can hear that, those are ways to first know, okay, how does my brain work and what is my learning style? And then you can kind of play around with that from there because some people that you can like record yourself if you're an audio person and hearing like it in your head is more beneficial versus visuals then like you can record yourself saying your futurizations and you can listen to those instead of laying down and trying to visualize and picture them because some people that's just not going to be a possibility or it's going to just take way more effort. If you know that you're a great visualizer, then spending more time doing futurizations is an awesome way to do it. Another thing is just uh, getting the nervous system in your training zone, like finding things that are actually fun. If getting outside and being in the wind is something that's challenging at the moment, you know, if this is where you're at, I'm going to step outside and, you know, put my feet in the grass. If that's your goal that you're going to do every day for like five to 15 minutes or whatever it is, Use that as your training zone. So it's actually like a practical thing. I'm getting outside, I'm getting sun, I'm getting fresh air, I'm getting ion charge from the ground, from being barefoot on the grass or whatever it is. So using more practical skills to, uh, or, you know, practices that aren't necessarily just for DNRS, like stop, stop, stop. You do this little kind of round thing and it's very robotic. 
I think it's a great platform to learn it and understand how it works, but it gets boring after a while. At least it was for me. And that's what I hear from other people too. It needs something else. There needs to be more involved here. So you can use your training zone. You can use your brain retraining. It's really pushing yourself, knowing that when your thoughts come up that aren't benefiting you, that you switch them to something else. So like with cold therapy, you know, like getting in the pool and changing that mindset around thing and allowing yourself to be in that space. That's like a way that you can use your brain retraining in those moments too. Okay. Thank you. Speaking of cold therapy, for many people, cold therapy can actually really put you into a sympathetic state. And there's a lot of people who are like, I don't know, let's say nervous system regulation coaches and so on that say that cold therapy is not for everybody or it's not necessarily for everybody all the time. Like You need to be at a certain place and have a certain capacity to be able to handle it. So what was some indicators for you that you felt confident that you were one, ready to do cold therapy? And what about cold therapy drew you in? What were you drawn to regarding it? And why did you want to do it? I had started following Wim Hof and listening to his stories. And this was pretty early on. He wasn't as well known at the time. And I was just fascinated. I didn't know anybody personally that was doing it. And I saw these people who had Lyme disease or other various different things that um, they were completely healing from using cold therapy. I was heat intolerant. So I had POTS and and I also did have rain odds on and off many times throughout the year. So, um, <laughs> so I was cognizant of being very sensitive to even clothing touching my skin. Like I wasn't definitely not able to wear jeans at that time. But I just told myself that I was just going to get in and do it. So I had just gotten into this really firm, strong mindset that I'm just going to get in there and do it. So when I started... I would put my suit on and I'd dip into the deep end of the pool and I would just get up to my hips and I was like, oh, and I'd just try to hold it for like 15 to 45 seconds and then I would get out. But there's other ways that you can do this. Since then, you know, you can work your way into it. So one is putting your hands in cold water, which was something that I did do as well, was I was just sitting there with my hand, but that's almost worse than getting like the whole body in it for me. Like, I feel like you just get in this whole immersion and your mind just kind of goes off. But when my hands are just in the water, it feels intense. But that is a way that a lot of people are kind of bridging that gap. Another thing is getting your face in a cold bowl of water. Now, this one I think is the most practical use. And I think like anybody could use this. If you're ever feeling like you're just can't get out of your loop thoughts, you're just not feeling well, putting your face in cold water completely changes it. It can even, you have to decide this for yourself, but it can even help to get out of like a panic attack moment. Put your face in the cold water. Any cold water therapy shocks you out of the pattern loops of behavior that are going on, whether that's thought patterns or whether that's neurological patterns or whether that's hormonal patterns. Your body is saying like, wait a minute, what is happening? I have to survive right now. I can't keep doing these patterns that I was doing before. I am here now in cold water. We need to figure out some other processes. We need to burn glucose very fast. Your body starts burning the brown fat and you start heating up your core. Your breath changes. Your eyes open up every single part of your body. Your vascular system starts to get narrower. You know, your muscles come in closer to your body. Every single part of your body is shifting in that moment and your mind is shifting in that moment. So you have an opportunity to kind of change where you were just a few seconds before that into an entirely different place and you create different hormones in that moment as well. So the endorphins and the dopamine that you get after doing that is super strong. 
So to answer your question about who's ready for this, you know, like when is a safe time to do it? I think it's entirely individual and there's so many different ways to get into it. Talking to your practitioners, like talking to yourself and your intuition and what you feel like if it feels like it's a fit for you. But I know that myself, I was still going through a lot of intense symptoms at the time that I started it. And I've seen other people do that too. So I think it's just using your own discretion and where you're at, you know, mentally and physically. But the mental part of it is so huge. That's amazing. So you are actually suggesting we use this cold therapy as a pattern interrupt, a form of actually interrupting a pattern. Yes. So I use breathwork and cold therapy to interrupt those. And that was a game changer for me. That's why when I say the three of them, I almost can't separate them because I use them together. So even for the breath work, I was one of the examples I have is I was really highly sensitive to tomatoes. Like I would break my mouth would start peeling instantly on contact. I would get a rash all the way around my mouth. It was like an instant reaction and it just start itching like crazy. So tomatoes were something I ate a lot of. And so with leaky gut, that was something that ended up being one of my first allergies to it. So I'll explain a little bit of the leaky gut connection just to explain like further what I was kind of doing with this. So for me and for a lot of people, leaky gut is like when the intestinal walls get like kind of holy. So they get irritated, the lining starts to kind of break away and basically molecules of food that are too big to typically go through the holes in the intestinal walls are now going through the holes in the intestinal walls. And so the immune system, the white blood cells are going, wait a minute, there's something foreign in here that we can't do anything with because this molecule of food is too big to actually use cellularly to get the nutrients out of it. So the white blood cells come and eat them up and the white blood cells now say, wait a minute, this tomato or whatever the food is, is now like an invader of the body. It's something that we can't do anything with. And so we need to attack it. So now you have a histamine response to these foods. And so you end up now not just reacting to the big molecules of foods that are coming through, but the tiny molecules of foods that your body could actually do something with. My leaky gut had gotten so bad that I was down to eating like 10 different foods at my lowest weight, lowest point in many ways. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm going to use the breath work to alkalize my body. So an alkalosis of respiratory alkalosis. So bringing in a ton of oxygen into the body and allowing the body to go into a state of shock similar to the cold therapy, the body is having, you're intentionally putting your body into alkalosis. So it's like you're using this as a tool. So I would put myself into the respiratory alkalosis after taking in 30 big breaths of like high oxygen breaths of air and then hold my breath. And in this moment, my body was in respiratory alkalosis shock. So bringing in too much oxygen that the body can't do anything with that much oxygen and not enough carbon dioxide. In that moment, need to survive, just like I was in the water. So it's like, wait a minute, these patterns of behavior, the hormone releases, the immune system responses, the patterns of thoughts in the head could no longer continue anymore. So the pattern interrupter there was the breath work. And then, so I would do a couple rounds of breath work. And this was at a point where my Histamine responses weren't as intense as they were earlier on. I was not responding to things as strongly, and I did not start with tomatoes. I <laughs> started with, with some other foods that weren't as uh, that I wasn't as sensitive to. But my key factor day was like, oh my god, I'm going to try this with tomatoes. And so I did like a couple rounds of breathwork, took a bite of tomato. And then immediately did another round of breath work so that my system was going into that learned state of shock. And I had trained my body so much now with this alkalosis breathing and that pattern interruption 
with the futurizations and the visualizations and re-changing the visuals that I was giving my body. So now I was saying, my body, the tomatoes are going in. My body's taking all the nutrients out of the tomatoes that it can use. And it's beautifully creating new cells within my system. And then I expel the waste that I can't use. So I would use the visualizations and the futurizations along with the breathwork and that pattern interruption. Okay. Well, two-part question. One, when you did this, were you just doing true Wim Hof where you did the 30 inhale, exhale, and then you held your breath on the exhalation, no air in your system, like how you do in Wim Hof? Two, how did you come up with this? Obviously, Wim Hof came up with the breath, but how did you connect the dots or where did you learn from that you could put these together? Where, like, How did you connect the dots that this breath work could help you to retrain around these histamine responses? So I've always done it with a retention. So I've personally always held the breath in. That's just something I've always done. I don't know why. It just seems to work better for me that way. But I mean, I guess it could be it could be done either way. And I think it was just learning the deep science behind it and how alkalosis breathing works and seeing that the patterns and just hearing him describe like how the body is working and like reading up on how alkalosis, you know, respiratory alkalosis works. And I was just kind of connected the dots and was, well, I can use this. It's changing everything. It's changing my DNA. It's changing the acidity in the body. It's getting more alkaline and all these things. So I kind of saw things on a pH scale. So the body gets super acidic when we have pathogens in our body. So the pathogens stay in our system because our gut is acidic usually is the first thing. Our blood becomes acidic. All of our tissues start becoming acidic and we start, you know, having more acidic emotions coming through, which are chemical releases within the body. And we start harboring these things in our gut, which then like kind of spread out to the rest of our body. So it stays in this acidic state. That's why in my mind, a lot of these diseases and, you know, pathogens like stay in the system because it's acidic. So if we create more of like going towards a neutral on the pH scale around seven, if we're aiming towards that and we're doing like this respiratory alkalosis, that allows for the body to create a different environment, a different pH balance. So if we're moving from an acidic to an alkaline state, I would visualize that the pathogens could not survive as it was moving to that neutral seven, you know that they could no longer be in there. The immune system was functioning. The DNA that is serving us is actually turning back on. So I was not born with any of the things that I was experiencing, you know, like any of these diagnoses, I wasn't born with them. So the DNA codes that were benefiting me were turned on, but then we all have bits of DNA codes that don't benefit us and those get turned on and the other ones get, the good ones get turned, the beneficial ones get turned off when our body gets acidic. So I was seeing it as, okay, my body's getting acidic. So there's this alkalosis breathing tool that I now have. So I'm going to create this pH uh, seven here and allow my body to return back, allow my DNA to return back to like a beneficial code again. And so that's just kind of how I saw it, I guess. (laughs) That's so cool. So basically, you were working with lowering the acidity in your body in multiple ways because you were doing it through breath work, but you're also doing it through mindset shifts because obviously stress also creates an acidic environment internally. So the more that you're reducing your stress and changing your thoughts and thinking patterns and doing your brain retraining, the more that you're also 
helping with that acidity. So you were really just like, hey, let me just address this from multiple angles. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And there's so so many ways that our body becomes acidic, you know? And so I guess I started just seeing things on pH scale. (laughs) Okay. And how did you come up with this idea to use cold therapy as a pattern interrupt? Did you learn that somewhere or is that something that you just intuited as well? Yeah, I guess I just through the experience of it, I guess, you know, they talk about your mindset's going to shift as you do this on a regular basis. And so your mindset's going to get stronger, like it's still going to be cold. But you're not going to go in the water screaming or you're not going to go in with panic anymore. You're going to learn to calm your nervous system down with your mind as you go into it. And so I just was kind of like, okay, well, like this is interrupting the pattern because when you get into that cold water, you're in the cold water. Like you are there in that moment. You're not thinking of the laundry list of things you have to do, you know, or like an argument you had with somebody. You're like, I'm in cold water right now. <laughs> like, I just need to like, be here and breathe through it. And there's no other option at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so neat. Because I've definitely learned how like you can use cold water to be able to then, like you said, use your mind to be mindful of your breath and calm your breathing down and bring your nervous system to a state of calm while under this duress, which, you know, some people have this theory that it teaches you how to be able to do hard things, build resilience. Because if I can do this and it's really hard, I can also go through some other hard stressor in my life and have that mindful capacity to control my breathing and remain calm. So I've always learned that, but I just love this idea of using it as a pattern interrupt on this thinking from a more brain retraining perspective, having a cold bowl of water and you have some type of intrusive thought that no matter how many times you try to interrupt it in other ways, like stop, 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 stop. And it's not stopping. And you're like, okay, I'm going to dip my head in cold water. And then it goes away finally because you're just like, holy shit, this is cold. (laughs) I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. So I've been taking cold showers for every day. I would say 99% of the days for months now. So I have to admit that I do take them outdoors and it's hot in Florida. So, you know, there are days that it's so hot that it actually feels incredibly refreshing. It doesn't have the same intensity factor, but we've definitely had some cooler days or days where maybe I don't sit outside first and get myself all heated. And it feels really cold. But it's funny because the days that I'm really hesitant and almost want to talk myself out of it, when I do it and I turn the cold on, initially it is so freaking cold. But within like a minute, it's comfortable. I'm actually like, oh, this is refreshing. Oh, this feels good. I miss it when I don't get it. But I have to say that those hard days, letting it go down on my face is the hardest part. Like I get my body and my back (laughs) and my arms and I'm like, okay, FaceTime. And it's like, (laughs) The face is definitely the hardest. But I would say that the the scalp, when I actually want to get my hair wet, that's the most refreshing. Yeah, the hair. There's something about getting the full body submersion, which like actually when I was doing cold therapy in Lake Tahoe, I was wearing a beanie and I wouldn't get my hair wet. But a lot of the times it was like freezing temperatures. So I also didn't want my hair to actually freeze. There was that as well. But I know like a lot of people do. They like dunk their head in like no matter how cold it is. So I would usually opt not to in those temperatures get like my hair wet. (laughs) 
Yeah, I wouldn't do it in cold either. I'm doing it on 80 degree days where like the sun's shining and, you know, it's like, oh, this is... But I, I have noticed that if you do have a heat sensitivity, for whatever reason, I've noticed that the cold showers have been really supportive. Oh, they've helped like with your heat intolerance in general? I think so. And I'm pretty confident that they're going to help with my cold days not feeling so cold. I'm aiming for that. Like by the winter time on cold days, it's not going to be as cold because... Well, it's true. Yeah, right. And I used to be such a cold person and I would shiver really easy. But even when we've had a couple really cold days or you know, I go into like a store that's ultra air conditioned, I've noticed that my initial reaction is to start shivering. But once I'm aware of it, I can actually stop it. Yeah. And that's where you start to gain control over your body. Because I think in our modern world and like listen to your doctor and all this stuff, a lot of our power has been taken away. And then we also are in very controlled environments for most of the time. We go from an air conditioned or heated car to an air conditioned or heated house to an air conditioned or heated work environment or a store. You know, it's like we are for the majority of the time, like in a controlled like temperature environment. And also air conditioning in itself is blowing cold air and that can really disrupt the nervous system too. But then when we learn that we can take back that power and really like train our nervous system, our cells, our body to like adapt and like respond differently to like our environments. And that was heavily, I experienced this to extreme degree because when I moved to Tahoe in spring of 2021 to become a raft guide, it was still snowing. And I was, I had not had much outdoor experience, but being that I had just done cold therapy every day for a year and a half, I was used to being in cold water and having my body in those experiences. So here I am rafting in the snow and my body was not used to this experience at all. Not used to being outdoors and everything. And I was able to use that mindset and the way that my body had learned to respond to cold and heat and the brain retraining to be like, I can get through this. I have all the power because you get the thing is with the brain retraining, you keep gaining more experiences to prove how freaking strong you are. I'm a huge advocate of improvement tracking. So tracking your little tiny improvements as you go, because like in the beginning, they're very small. So mine were so small that I almost wasn't even noticing them. And I had to track them and say like, okay, I'm seeing this. I was able to listen to music for five minutes today. I could watch a video at a brighter screen level. I was able to have a conversation with somebody for 20 minutes. You know, there was little tiny incremental things that were happening. And then they got bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time that I had gone to Tahoe and was like whitewater rafting and in that environment, I was like, I did this whole therapy for a year and a half. I have like the proof. I've put myself through this and it gets stronger and it just builds and it builds and it builds. And I like had the pot. I really think that doing the cold therapy was, you know, it's exercising your vascular system. It's exercising your muscles. um, It's exercising your mind. So you're becoming, even though it's cold, you're training your body that it doesn't need to be responsive because your body basically thinks that it's protecting you when it's heat sensitive or cold sensitive. It's like saying, oh, wait, this is like a danger. Like I shouldn't, I need to do something. So when you're doing cold therapy, you know, you're able to like retrain your system and say like, no, wait, this isn't dangerous. You know, look it, we're in a controlled environment. We're choosing to do this. Like that's the thing is you have the power. You're giving yourself the power back. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I I remember that during our last conversation, 
you talked about this raft, this big move in this rafting job, but I th- feel like it was like a really fun story. So can you share that with us? <laughs> yeah. So this was a continuation of my brainer training, actually. As I was saying earlier, I realized how much being around water and big trees was so important to me and my body. And so I was like, okay, I'm living in the city, like kind of suburb city situation. I really want to be in nature more. So I was looking for something outdoors. And then I was just kind of looking on Craigslist. I was looking at all these jobs. And I was trying to find something outdoors. And I saw an ad that said, become a whitewater raft guide. No experience necessary. So I called up the person. They're like, yeah, you can like, come on. We'd love to have you. So I just, I didn't know anything about it. Watched a bunch of YouTube videos on like how to read water and gear. I, I had never really even been camping. I was just trying to like understand gear I needed or like, what do you even do when you're outside in the wilderness? So like I was using all of that, gaining all this knowledge and that. And like, I actually bought a PFD or like a life vest and I put it on. I was standing in the mirror and I was like, pretending that I was telling like the people that were in my boat what to do and just by like what I had watched on YouTube videos and everything like that. So it was using the brain retraining in those forms, like watching myself in the mirror and seeing myself in the gear that I bought, you know, to like visualize myself there. So even before I moved, I was doing that. And then I moved up there and I just had to be in it. It was just kind of like at the whim of, okay, this is the experience, you know, and now I'm here. And so I was renting a room when I first moved there. And then um, I ended up living on the property of the raft guide company. And I was living in a school bus for a while. And then I bought like a trailer and I was living in a trailer. And they put a little wood burning stove into my trailer, a little cubic mini. And it was just such a like an amazing experience. I was living with all of these raft guides on the property. And so I was fully immersed in the non-healing world, which was that I absolutely needed because that's that you can't heal in the environment that you got sick in. And now that can mean a million different things. Not everybody can go and be a whitewater raft guide or go and, you know, move to an entirely different city and be away from everybody and everything they know. But there's various different forms of that. So I was in this environment where people were not being super health conscious, like by any means, you know, eating a lot of processed foods and There was, I mean, there was like a balance to it because we were outdoors, we were very active and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I wasn't consciously thinking about all that. So I wasn't doing the brain training at this point. I would still do yoga here and there. I'd still do Kundalini here and there and my meditations. But for the most part, I was just fully in that experience. It was so a, like, you need to be in the moment, especially during those first two weeks when we had our guide school training. And we were every single day out there for the full day. And so I just had to be in the experience, in the present, in the now. And so that like helped me to continue that brain retraining and and to not be thinking about supplements and routines and, you know, everything else, because no, I was in an entirely different world. (laughs) That is so awesome. And how long did you do that for? I did it for two seasons. So two summer seasons and then a lot of, yeah. And then a lot of fun rafting, like through that, through the winter as well. So yeah. (laughs) Okay. And you were pretty much just like not really immersed in the healing world at that time. You were just kind of in the living world. (laughs) Yes. yeah. Yeah. Especially for that first part of the first season. I did end up starting my business legitimately and had a couple other jobs. And then I started to like, okay, I want to be more into the health consciousness side of things again. And I wanted like sharing my story and all that kind of stuff. So it was like probably like a good 
six months that I really didn't. I was almost turned off anything like health and wellness related. I just needed to be just a human, just living, you know, just experiencing life. But then I also just kept getting this calling that like, I want to share my story. I want other people to know that you can be in a place where you think you're going to die and like that there's no way out of this to be able to come become a whitewater raft guide, you know? And so the call was like very strong. And so within that six months to a year after moving there, like I like started getting into it. And then I led like cold plunging groups, like in the lake, you know, and it was like, so it was just different versions of what it was, you know, like the healing world. It was just a, you know, adaption and an evolution. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Now looking back in hindsight, do you feel like that was an essential part of your healing to take a step away from the community and to take us to dive into this whole other realm? Because as I hear you talk about this, to me, what that sounds like is a way to really peel away from this old identity, or I imagine like just peeling apart from this old illness identity, this old chronic sickness identity. And I wonder because it, it is a natural, in a sense, progression to like have illness and then almost stay in the community because it's like kind of the glue that in a sense keeps you committed and you know, you want to give back, like you said. But I know for myself, even I've been feeling a strong pull to like take a step away from everything healing chronic illness community to really disengage from that identity, to really walk step into life where everybody else is just like living and thriving. So that I can take on that identity of well-being, of healing, of thriving and not be so wrapped up in whatever residual feeling or identity around my illness, old illnesses still might exist or coexist within me somewhere. Does that make sense? Totally. I like 100% feel that. I mean, it's life's about balance, right? So if we've been in a state of severe chronic illness and that's what the world, like, it's just like, how do I survive through the day? And like, what treatment should I do next? And what doctor should I call? And what do I do? And it's this constant worry. And this is where life is for so long. It might need to be thrown to the other side. You might need to be like immersed in something different for a while, like to get those vibrations of being in those other experiences and not hearing the the words and the phrases and the, you know, like seeing the things that like remind you of that. But then it's like, okay, there's the two polar sides here. And then now it's like, where do I find like a nice like medium where I can kind of oscillate here in the middle and feel out like what feels right to me at different times? Because I still do this like in my posting and then, you know, everything like I'll like be like, oh, I'm like, I have like a ton of creative energy. Like I really am feeling like I want to share a bunch of stuff right now. And then like, you know, it's great. I love talking to people. That's what I'm doing. That's that's like my business now, you know. But then there's like moments where I step away from that and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I just need a moment to like not post as much and not commune and like talk to people as much and kind of recharge, you know, and get that recharge back of feeling like life force, you know, and everything and then go back to it. So it's like a constant thing I've noticed like every few weeks that kind of happens is that I notice that I'm really into, oh, I have all this energy and I can like gain this and then I need a recharge. I mean, that's, that's how we work, you know, seasonally, like winter is like more downtime and more inwardness and being more cozy and nurturing yourself in different ways. And summer's kind of more explosive and get out, you know, so like, we have that natural rhythm of life that is constantly changing. And we have to recharge like it's necessary, you know, like, and I think anybody that's gone through 
an extreme experience of like chronic illness is very hyper aware of how things affect them. And I for sure am like, I know when I need to say yes and no to things. So I know when something's a yes for me. And I know when something is like, a, I, I maybe another time kind of thing for me and making sure that I have those moments of recharge and just listening to what that means for me at the moment. Yeah, so good. So good. Oh my gosh, I want to ask you like a hundred more questions, but we've already done an hour. (laughs) I can't believe how fast this has flown by. I guess it flies by when you're not getting kicked off the internet like 20 times. Um, Okay. Out of curiosity, just for everyone who's listening, do you have any kind of... Because you've been well for quite a while now. Do you have any kind of daily self-care routines or rituals that you follow still to this day to support you to maintain your well-being? Yeah. So it switches constantly. Again, like that's a lot of whole balance things. So like I kind of listen into like what it is that I need, but the consistent is intuitive eating. So it's like listening to what my body needs now and like, giving myself like whatever it's craving or weather wise, if I need more heavy foods or lighter foods. The other thing is a morning routine for me. And that can look like entirely different depending on what it is that I'm doing. But I allow myself like whatever time I need to get up to give myself about like an hour to two hours in the morning. And that can look like doing kundalini yoga. That can look like doing stretching. That can look like doing a facial steam, which is something that I've been into recently a lot. That can look like breath work. That can look like cold therapy. It changes based on like what it is that I'm doing. And getting out in nature is like another thing too. And like recently, like Every like two or three weeks, I go to the beach because I live about like an hour and like 15 minutes away from the beach. So I like get out there and go to the beach. And that's something that like really recharges me. I did that, I was, did that yesterday with a friend and it was wonderful to just get out and like recharge or just sometimes getting out and sitting under a tree is something that's like recharging for me. So listening to what it is that I need at the moment and then just allowing myself to nurture myself in that way. Also taking baths. Taking hot baths like to sweat is something that I do on a regular basis still um, for detox and also coffee enemas. So coffee enemas um, on and off for detox, just kind of when I feel them, I didn't do them for a very long time. And to me, it was something that kind of represented being sick. And so I um, was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to do those, you know. And then I was like, oh, it'd be so interesting to see how my body actually feels with them when I don't need them to survive. But now like I can just use them to like kind of give myself a boost, you know, so that's those are two other things that I do on a pretty regular basis. Awesome. And if you could only share one message for the rest of your life with the whole wide world, what message would you spend your life sharing? (laughs) Only little questions here. Um, It would be that you absolutely have the power to do anything that you want to create in your life. And if that's healing, if you're working towards healing yourself, you are so incredibly strong and you have everything within you to bring yourself out of a place that is non-beneficial to you to a place where you are thriving. I think that's the biggest key is that people just do not realize how incredibly powerful they are. Like you are so freaking powerful. <laughs> it took me a long time to realize that. And I still have my moments where I'm like, ah, you know, and I have to bring myself back, use my brain retraining, use my thought processing and like, remember, you know, remember myself at that soul level and how incredibly powerful we are. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And how can people connect with you? Yeah. So I do wellness coaching and I do energy work, specializing in brain retraining and overcoming chronic illness. Um, So I do have a website, KimberlyHarder.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or YouTube at Kimber's New Frequency. 
or you can reach out to me at yourwellness at KimberlyHarder.com. I'd love to talk to you or you can comment in my videos on YouTube. There's many different ways that we can get in touch. So yeah, please reach out if you're feeling any resonance with anything here. <laughs> Fantastic. Yay. I'm so glad we got to do this again. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time a second time to do this to help me share this message uh, without rattling my brain trying to put all those different files together. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> you. It was fun. It was so fun despite the technical errors last time to talk with you. And it was even more fun to get to talk to you today uninterrupted. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having this platform to share these stories. That's so huge. As like recovery stories were so big for me and allowing myself to believe that I could get better. That was something I watched on a regular basis. That was actually part of my brain retraining was watching recovery videos. So the fact that you do this and you have this platform is amazing. Like, thank you for putting this out there. Thank you. Every episode that you tune into, my hope is that you feel inspired in some way or that you learned something insightful or practical to implement into your healing experience. Don't forget to tune in to Instagram for our weekly challenges where we will focus on a different theme every month. And until next time, make this week great. So